Hey pals, welcome to Team Up Moves. I'm Fiona. And I'm Stephanie. And this is the podcast where we play superhero-themed tabletop role-playing games and then talk about them. And it's another talking episode talking about A City of Shining Stars, the superhero world-building game by Aaron Lim. And we just we just had a great AP about this. And who we have some fun things, fun things to get into this episode. We do, and we've got a guest who is getting into them again with us. Shall I introduce our guest? Yes, please do. He's amazing. He really, really is. Our guest is Jeff Stormer, the game designer and writer and podcaster, whose podcasts include really, you know, models for things we try to do around here, Party of One, and All My Fantasy Children, if you like us and you're not checking out his stuff, uh, please do. He is also the designer responsible for the first game that we played on the show, Anyone Can Wear the Mask, another superhero game called Dominoes, and a number of other games that include three different pro-wrestling-themed entities. I-, I cannot even say how happy I am that Jeff Stormer is coming on the show with us. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I can't express how happy I am to be here, how excited I was to play the game. Uh, I have been listening to Team Up Move since it launched, and I, I am a fan, and I was excited to sit down and play a game, and now I'm excited to get to the talky parts. Talky parts. Talky parts. Talky parts. Sweet. Let's do that. All right. First talky part is origin story. And traditionally on the show, this is where we get into the prep of the game, the way that the players built their characters ahead of time, what I've done as the GM. So I think that there's really two ways to look at the prep for A City of Shining Stars. One is get some pals in a deck of cards. That's version A. Version B is to really prepare for this your entire life by (laughs) loving and reading superhero stories and comic books and all of that. And my understanding, Jeff, is that it's that second prep that is uh, that is kind of your story. Uh, a little bit. I would say a little bit. Um, I have, I mean, honestly, superheroes are the great love of my life. Like they're really, it more than anything, it's, it's superheroes and the Muppets is really, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to like boil me down to my component parts and really understand everything else in my life, it's superheroes and the Muppets. Wait, 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 before you go on. Do you have one Muppet who is your Muppet? It's boring. I mean, it's the it's the boring answer, but like it's got to be. I'm, I am I am a Kermit by nature. I I am an ex- perpetually exhausted optimist who loves his friends and likes putting on a show. There's a joy and an energy like I you know the first time I saw that the first time I saw that it was uh. It was everything. The first time I met Kermit, it was everything. Mm-hmm. Continue with your superhero story. Yeah. Now, now I'm like, okay, we got to get Becca back. We're going to do some Muppet stuff. This is taking the podcast in a different direction. It's going to be great. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so other than the Muppets, superheroes. Yeah. I, I, I learned to read via superhero comics. Like I, I remember, you know, I was at the risk of dating myself. I was three, four, five years old when Batman the Animated Series came on. So, like, I I came of age at a time of some great superhero, like, media. And, like, so I was was enraptured by superheroes from a very young age. They are the thing that I have spent my life obsessed with. Uh, I went to school. I went to college at The Ohio State University, which was the home to the comic book research lab. 
uh, and and so and I got to like study comic books and take classes. So my my English degree is technically a degree in superhero comics because I took more classes about comic books and superheroes than I did any other thing. So I get to tell people that I majored in superhero comics, which is great feeling uh, and makes me very very happy. Fiona is now surrounded by English majors. Technically. Yeah, no, like everyone we have on the show is, I mean, CC and, and Ian and yeah, no, it's, it's fine. Y'all are fine. It's good. I want to know more about this, this degree. Was there, did you have a thesis? Was there any, any sort of like end cap summarizing your, your superhero work? So, uh, I believe like my end cap, it was a lot of forcing superhero work into my academic studies. It was a lot of, I was given prompts, probably like my personal end cap, my personal like in school end cap, my my actual answer to that comes about ten years after graduation, which we'll get to in a second. Okay, but uh, my my personal my in school my undergrad end cap was I was in a class. It was a poetry class that was focused specifically on like works of poetry and how they connected to the songs of Bob Dylan, which is a very which is a very undergrad English major class. Uh, yep. <laughs> the, the, the the energy is strong even to this day. I recognize it. Who taught this? I'd have to find the name the name of the professor. He was wonderful and he was great. He was very very cool. And he was especially cool because I wrote a full 10-page essay on what the use of Bob Dylan lyrics in Watchmen said about Watchmen as a as a like artistic project using like the the life of Bob Dylan and like the, the the themes in his work to highlight like what it meant to use that work within Watchmen as a piece of fiction. And the comment that I got on that piece that uh, I I this is why it was my end cap was the teacher was like you were supposed to use a certain number of like secondary academic sources and you did not use any. Uh, so I should technically take take uh, points off for that. But the actual first party research that you did was so good and so thorough that I'm still going to give you the A. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. I was like, that that feels good to me. Like, that's the capstone to me. But my actual end cap came about 10 years later when I wrote a game called Anyone Can Wear the Mask, yeah, which is my honest feelings about superheroes distilled down <laughs> into such a concise piece of work that I feel like I, I feel like it was finally condensing everything else I had to say. My view on what superheroes is and what uh, makes superheroes special is boiled down into that work in particular, and that was... To your point, to your point of of how one preps for a superhero game and how that often involves a lifetime of loving superhero stories, my answer was anyone can wear the mask is that work. It is the work that that, you know, from the first time I watched Batman sitting on a sit, eating eating cereal off of a kitchen chair, uh sitting on the floor of my my living room watching Batman to being in my 30s and uh, having a degree in superhero comics like that's the thing that's the thing that says everything that I wanted to say and so that is my my academic capstone <laughs> it's my 10 years late thesis it was Brian McHale who is Brian McHale the Bob Dylan professor it is it is in fact I'm looking at the photo and I remember I remember the the fa- yes yes it is that is the teacher that taught me about Bob Dylan. It was great. Okay. It was a great class. <laughs> I, you know, and I, I will say that having played Anyone Can Wear the Mask and, and done that and, and talked about it on this show, that point of view comes across so strongly in that game. And just, again, the way that it is set up between a hero and these specific members of the community that they are helping out, that are helping out the hero, it's 
tying into that that inspirational side of of superheroes where it's like there is the hero but it's also everybody else mm-hmm. helping too yeah what stories are like your what are your favorites what's what's a what's one that you that you come back to again and again this is where I'm going to get emotional about uh, one specific book because it's probably my favorite comic book ever written. Okay. And I feel like it hits that vibe a lot. And I, I really feel like I am a Grant Morrison. I'm a sucker for a Grant Morrison. If you put a Grant Morrison in front of me, I there's a, there's a strong chance that the vibes of that book will bring me to tears. Aw. So which Grant Morrison is this? All-Star Superman, yeah. I feel like, captures the sense of like what superheroes can be and like what makes superhero stories special and essential in a way that I don't think any other book has ever quite done. And the way that it, in that same vein, the way that like Superman is only one part of a world and is a world full of people all doing their best, but they are all doing their best in part because they have been introduced to the idea of a Superman. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like I, I, I'm hard-pressed to point to a single book that better illustrates the idea that Superman can do amazing things, but the power that that he holds is that people, is that meeting someone who is good and pure and inspire and like believes in you inspires you to be better and purer and to want and to want to make the world a better place. What a good explanation of that particular character. I think that's I think, so good. I think so much about Superman. I really need to emphasize this. I think so much about Superman as a character. <laughs> there is a universe in which this podcast goes off into just an hour of us talking about your second favorite and least favorite super stories and Supergirl and the Fortress of Solitude and the Bottle City of Candor. In, in a certain sense, this we could have done this whole show uh, about a version as a version of the bottle city of candor which is one of the parts of superman stories that has always like fascinated me i have a lot to say about the bottle city of candor as a concept say it i think it embodies superman really nicely i think the bottle city of candor like as a concept is the kind of thing that can only exist in a superman book and it also kind of embodies what makes superman such a resonant character because it is this thing that the 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 existence of like this city is is a it allows superman to do weird stuff and i feel like the best you know people are always like well how do you make superman stories relevant when he's so powerful and the first answer is you just make him do the weirdest possible thing at any moment <laughs> should we explain <laughs> what the bottle city of candor is oh yeah yeah i was about to say for for the benefit of our hosts who are uh you know sitting here with their marvel tattoo uh what is the bottle city of candor so the bottle city of candor Brainiac, who is either a Kryptonian supercomputer or an alien, I believe, not from Mars, but from another planet who has a green monkey and is obsessed with shrinking cities and putting them in bottles. It's kind of so it's like more than one nickel on the shrinking cities thing. Yeah. Uh, Famously took a city from Krypton shrank it down into the size of a bottle and flew off into space with it. And when Superman fought Brainiac, he recovered this city that is the last remnant of Krypton among all the 17 other last remnants of Krypton. But it is this city, this Kryptonian city that is the size of a bottle and they cannot leave the bottle because the world is big and it is dangerous. Mm, Okay. And so he keeps it in the Fortress of Solitude and he keeps it there because he has made it his mission to find a way to safely restore the city of Kandor 
in a way that does not cause a crisis. Like he has set it aside and he's like, I'm going to figure this out. And then until I can, I'm going to watch over it and protect it. It means that sometimes you get stories where Superman shrinks real small and flies into a (laughs) bottle and fights super criminals. And that's great. And it also represents this idea that Superman is presented with a problem that, like, none of his powers can solve. Mm. Like, he does not have make city big powers. Right. It's just not a thing that he has. But the idea that he, like, doesn't just, you know, write it off. He doesn't just, you know, mourn the tragedy of this city that is in a bottle. He is like, I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to, like, like hold on to this as a reminder of something that I have to figure out how to fix, even if it is entirely out of my, the scope of my abilities, embodies uh, what makes Superman an aspirational fantasy character in a way that I find incredibly, like, that to me is the beauty of, of Superman, is like, I can't do this but I can't do it yet. And I'm going to figure I'm going to like, I've been presented with an impossible problem, but I'm going to figure out how to solve it. Yeah. I love that. So I would like to hear more about your journey from Superman, superfan into designer. Like how did you as one talented human go from reading all these comics and just inhaling Kryptonians, not literally to creating these ways of simulating Kryptonian refugees. I guess when I say that the two things are comic books and the are superheroes and the Muppets, I recognize that tabletop RPGs are the third thing. And I just don't, I, 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 I for they're, they're so in my blood at this point that I forget that it's also <laughs> the third thing. Mm-hmm. I've been playing role-playing games since my brothers and I found a copy of a very weird old role-playing game called Middle Earth Role-Playing, which was an offshoot of a game called Role Master in the mid-90s at a yard sale in rural Oklahoma. We did not know how to play the game. We had never heard of what a tabletop RPG was, uh, and we tried to figure it out. We did not do very well, but it burrowed into my brain, and uh, now I do this. Now I now Now this is my hobby. Learning things through, and I've realized like learning things through play, learning things through rules, learning things through structures has been like a crucial part of like how I learn stuff. It's always been. And so I come to role playing games very naturally. It speaks to part a lot of like how I learn things, how I express things, how I share creativity with people. And for many, 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 many years, as long as I've been playing games, I've been thinking about how to play Superman. Mm. Because Superman is my favorite. Superman is my favorite. He is Mm -hmm. far and away my favorite. He's the super, the character that I think about the more than any other fictional character. And I thought about it for years and years and years. And in doing so, I've read and played a tremendous number of superhero role-playing games, and I've put a lot of thought into them. It's why Team Up Moves as a show speaks to a part of my brain. (laughs) Um, But like I thought about it, I was like, it, it is an incredibly difficult concept to pull off like there's so many reasons but like one of the there two of the big ones are as many people have pointed out there's a if you're playing with a group there's a power balance issue the hawkeye problem as we call it around here the hawkeye problem is very very real if you are playing superman and also there's the very real problem in many many superhero games where you can just fail in a way that like superman can't Mm. the myth like the myth of superman the folklore of superman Mm -hmm. is that he is going to succeed 
there is no impossible problem, that there is someone that can solve the un- the impossible problem. And if that person is not Superman, then Superman will find that person and, and team up with them. When Superman dies, Leo Quintum steps up and says, we're going to make a new Superman because yeah. the problem of there is no longer Superman has been solved. Like someone, someone has been inspired to, to take on the threat that Superman himself couldn't take on. Yeah. Mm. And... So I was like, I was like, so those are two things where like, you know, there are a lot of games where it's like, if I roll to say to pull someone out of a building, I might just not succeed. And then the story is just, well, Superman just didn't succeed. And I'm like, that's not to me how Superman stories fundamentally work. And then I played the game Beyond the Rift by Deep Anyway. Mm-hmm. It is an inspiring, incredible game. And it is based on Metroidvania style games. It is based on things like hollow knight and metroid and castlevania and it has a very clever hook to it which is when you roll your six-sided die you're not rolling to see whether or not your character your protagonist character succeeds at the challenge you are rolling to see how many times it took you as the person playing this game failing at the thing before (laughs) you were able to succeed at it because that is a core piece of playing metroidvania style games is like i have to keep jumping at this ledge until eventually i land on the ledge and i get the rocket boots so i can go back in the other direction and unlock the other area like that sort of like repetitive i'm keep i'm dying and i'm losing and i'm trying and i'm failing is like a core part of how those video games work and as i was reading that i was thinking about it and i was like that mind shift that mindset is like is Superman to me like mm-hmm. this is that is that breed of superhero story it is Superman and it is Spider-Man who are vastly different characters that follow a very similar arc in terms of their story structure which is and this is true of a lot of comic book superhero characters but like the secret is that they're always going to win they're always going to to stop whatever the threat on the cover is but are they going to save everyone along the way? Like, what it like? Is it going to be messy? Are they going to get hurt? How badly does Peter Parker get beaten up? Does Superman knock down a building and suddenly Lex Luthor is able to launch a smear campaign? Like, those are the those are the questions that that, that are interesting to me in a superhero story. So I was like, what if that was the core of a game and that turned into anyone can wear the mask very quickly? That makes so much sense. And it has me thinking about the particular branch of superhero stories that you're describing because there are so many other branches. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have this conversation about Daredevil. Right. Who fails all the time. Fails constantly. Oh, and that, that actually, which actually, not to, not to just plug all of the things that I've done. But that was very specifically like my thought process in Dominoes, which is a very different kind of game and which takes a lot of Daredevil's inspiration is like Daredevil has times where like he just whiffs it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the structure of, of Dominoes, which is you play through the game, you roll a bunch of dice, like the gameplay shifts at the very end and then you roll a giant pool of dice and sort of intuit the results. And the answer can be all of our characters die and everything gets worse for the city as a whole. Oh, wow. Which is a hell of a bad ending. But like, <laughs> but like that vibe of like. There are times where Daredevil, where like Daredevil will do everything he can and do it right. And then at the very end, it's just like, well, everything's worse. 
crap. Mm-hmm. That was the the vibe that I wanted was like you spend the game kind of like going through the investigation. You finally get to the big final battle and then you hope that like you've put you hope that you've put enough pieces in place that things don't go poorly. And But yeah, it is. it. But to but to your point, that is a kind of superhero story that like that isn't a story that gets told about Superman. And I think that is a very like intentional distinction. It's not a Superman story. It doesn't fit the character. Right. Exactly. We're talking about solo books. And before we move on to City of Shining Stars specifically, I would love to hear you talk about teams and team books and, and what's different when you're simulating teams. I think the thing that is different when you're simulating teams is that to what we were just talking about, there is a much different, there is more of an allowance for like failure on account of team people have to help each other out. You get that, that interpersonal drama. I think that for, for me, like I, I team books, there's a lot that I love about them. And that, that feeling of like, there's failure, there's interpersonal drama. I feel like oftentimes a Superman story, a solo hero story, oftentimes the main thing in that story is an external objective, I think is how I would describe it. Yeah. Superman is saving somebody from falling out of a building. Superman is is stopping the alien invasion. Like the 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 hook of that story is that somebody is falling out of a building or there's an alien invasion. Oftentimes that hook is not the most important thing in a team story. And I think uh, a lot of the team-based books that I've read, a lot of the the games that I've read that evoke that mechanic capture that vibe very well. Like, I think Masks does this uh, very, very well. I think one of the best superhero games that is ever written, that is Pasión de las Pasiones with mm. La Casa, de, <laughs> Casa del uh, Atomo, mm-hmm. is one of the best superhero games ever written because it is a telenovela that involves the X-Men, and that's, like, the perfect vibe because it's like, well, we got to stop I Magneto. Not, I'm writing this down. <laughs> I don't know if, if Casa del Atomo is out yet. You'd have to talk to Brandon, but I'm pretty sure it exists. This is an expansion for the original Passion de las Passiones. It is a, it is a, a uh, what do they call it? It's like a set. It's not a set. A playset? Playset. That's yeah. the phrase. Yeah. It's a playset for the for the game that is like, here's what happens if you want to do X-Men, the telenovela. And it's real close to my heart. Uh, we are there. I've, I've heard EPs of Passion de las Passiones and I, I liked it. I mean, I didn't expect to play it. I just expected to listen to more APs of it. But now. Yeah. Now. All right. This, this, this interview is leading. We are, we are getting so much homework and I love it. I'm I'm loving it. This is this is this is this is the vibe. This is what I was this is what I've been waiting for is to just unload all of all of this. <laughs> all right. Well, we should, I think, move on a little bit. And so thank you, Jeff, for for your origin story and you know, hearing hearing about these influences. And I'm not going to summarize because you know everyone just listened to it and you all liked it too. So we're going to move on. And that is to the letters page and a city of shining stars. Now, the way that we always open the letters page is to ask the question, because we want to kind of judge games on, on their terms. What is this game trying to do? And, and Steph, I'd, I'd like your, your kind of summary on this one. This is a game that wants to build in one play session or one two or three sittings at most the complete history of a city or a region or maybe a planet 
characterized by superheroes and superhero business. It's a game that wants to build as a unity the interconnected stories that make up something like the Marvel Universe or one of the several iterations of it's not called Earth One anymore. Do you remember what what it's called? Is it Earth Zero? The the DC I think is I thought it was I thought it was back to being Earth, is it Earth One, One again. Okay. I think it's Earth One. I really should know this. I'm just kind of having a brain fry moment. But it is a game that wants to really pan out from the individual character moments and conflicts that most superhero RPGs address and build history. And so it is a game that wants you to think like a writer of large scale history. To think like a comic book editor and continuity master, to think in some ways like a critic, to think like someone like Douglas Wolk, who wrote the history of the entire Marvel Universe, and to think like a real-life historian who looks at a bunch of things that happened in 1915 and says to herself, how did those events cause or make possible things that happened in 1916? So it is a big, large-scale continuity history game with a superhero flavor. Or if you want, a superhero game with a historian flavor. Okay, we're going to get into that that one a little bit. Uh, so, Jeff, I think I think two-part question, right? One is, do you agree with Steph's kind of description here of, of City of Shining Stars? And then, do you think that it's successful? I do very much agree with the with, with with Steph's description. I think that it is a great, I think it's a good description. I think you summed it up really nicely. I I, I think that... Framing it as like a historian's view is very, is very correct. And I think um, you really hit it on the head. Uh, the vibe that I get, and I think that, you know, you, you, you called this out is like, this is the fan dumping allure of how all of, of a bunch of characters they like from a setting and how they all relate to one another in a, a setting. And I think that's really great. Like that to me. It's the comic book lore nerd approach to uh, world building at the table, which is here's all these characters. Here's how they're connected. Here's how they were in the Golden Age. And then the Silver Age happened and it kind of like rebooted them. And like, <laughs> I, I think we didn't get to see it fully play out. And if, if we had sat down again for a Silver Age or a Modern Age, I think we would have. I think we saw enough of it that I feel like I got a little bit of the vibe and I would have loved to see more of it play out. Mm -hmm. But I think it is successful in capturing that vibe of here's a bunch of stuff, stuff that happened. Here's the history and the stories and how they interconnected. And because this is this to me is one of the big hooks of the game. Here's how it changed from different periods of comic book history. You know, the de the delineation of this is the golden age, this is the silver age, and this is the, the modern age. We played kind of fast and loose with those time periods, but using those very specific comic book terminology for listeners who may not like uh, recognize the golden age is literally like the World War II, the first wave of superheroes in the 60s. There was the silver age where a bunch of stuff got revamped. And then there is a modern age after sort of the 80s where that kind of happened again post-crisis on infinite earths so like using that comic book terminology and using that very strong sense of legacy i think that it really does play off of really specifically that comic book that douglas Walt comic book historian vibe of here are characters here are how they mapped out and here here's like 
here's here's what I love about the Golden Age Green Lantern. Here's what happened when they rebooted Green Lantern in the Silver Age. Then the 90s happened, and here's what happened to the Green Lantern in the 90s. And like talking about those differences, but talking about the continuity through them, that that appreciation of continuity is, I think, a thing that the book is really that the game is really consciously cultivating. And I think that it is successful in that really, really nicely. Yeah. Now I, I want to sort of for the benefit of our listeners, because again, we we just did that that first age. We we uh, uh sort of timing wise and and flow wise, we kind of ended it right there and where it felt good. But to continue this game, you know, at the end of uh, of our play, we were sort of naming a handful of very specific characters and how they solved our crisis and then looking at how they echo forward into the next round of play. And so the next round would be very similar to that first one and drawing the cards and all of that. But actually the deck in that case is very stacked to include the characters that we named. Those cards get shuffled in on, onto the top. So were we to keep playing and sort of to do that second age, we're definitely going to see some of them coming up. And mm-hmm. then we're going to be adding new characters that maybe also echo previous ones from the previous age or, or maybe would have been fresh. That then ends in another crisis, and then you can play a modern age sort of after that. And, and so it, at most, there's kind of those, those three there. So- one of the things that that I think I, I want to start looking at at the ways that the the mechanisms of this game mm-hmm. are are reinforcing these and sort of as they're really operating. And the first thing is sort of bringing up. You both mentioned that that this this is fairly wide. This is a historian's view. There are many different characters, and you know I think what's the the biggest way I see that come up is we're not in control over who the main characters are in any of these events. There is up to 13, uh, if I if I know my poker deck correctly, that could be coming up. And you, other than some of the, a little bit of those randomization tweaks I talked about, you're going to just be getting different characters. You don't necessarily know that someone you describe is even going to come up again, or maybe they'll come up a lot. And so I think that the main characters that we kind of had in our story were not necessarily the ones we would have thought of from the beginning. Yeah, I, I, that's a really, really great point. And it's, and you're exactly right. Like, um, there, there definitely were both characters that I was like, oh, we're going to see a lot of the warehousemen. And then like the way the cards played out, like didn't necessarily come up a super bunch. But I think what is interesting about that. And, uh, I think like what, what appeals to me about the randomization in that aspect beyond just like adding an element of surprise is like, as somebody who came, you know, as, as somebody in 2022 reading old comics, right? Mm-hmm. There is a distinct joy in finding those characters that like, cle- finding those characters that didn't go places. Oh no, yeah. I think there's a distinct joy in going and like, you know, in reading a character and going, wow, Dell Comics really thought that their version of Dracula was going to be the biggest thing on the planet. <laughs> that didn't go super great. And like finding those oddball characters that like you read that you like, you're like, that was really it. Like, that's the last time that they show up oh. is like a super interest. Like, that is a very real piece of like studying comic books is like finding those stories that don't get continued. And I think it's like a fascinating little thing. Yes, yes. It's also a piece of writing comics because we talked about how this is a game that that overall can make you feel like an editor or a critic or a historian, both of of 
comics and of the world. But it's also a game that, in an unusual way, puts you in the position of a comic book writer. Because if you are writing fan fiction, or if you are, uh, what's a good example, Brian Michael Bendis, you can pick out any big two character and say, I want them. You want Aquaman? You, you got him. Uh-huh. If you're a professional comics writer and you are not Brian Michael Bendis. Grant Morrison pulling out the League of Batman in their Batman run, which was the international, the, the 19, uh, the Batman of all nations. That was their name. Okay. They were an international consortium of other Batman from other countries. And Grant Morrison, as they were writing their like Batman R.I.P. Batman Inc. epic, they were like, we're pulling in every concept from Batman and including in that is the Batman of all nations, which is a bunch of other superhero enthusiasts who all were like, we're also Batman. <laughs> <laughs> like like the Captain Gritten Corps, but the better. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. Continue. Okay. I just, I got it. No, no. I, I, Grant Morrison's wonderful. And Grant Morrison is also someone who will do whatever he, whatever they want yeah. to do. And they're great. Yeah, yeah. But most comic book writing and most comic book writers, even, you know, my favorites are not like that. Most comic book writing is, well, I've got this hitch for something I want to do with Green Arrow and Black Canary. Well, Black Canary's busy. So you can have Green Arrow and Zatanna. And, uh, oh yeah, there's a, a TV show coming up that stars, I don't know, Wonder Girl. So these are the characters who you have to use if you would like to write for us. And here is the villain that we want to make a big push for. And here is what you have to do. And some of the great developments in mainstream comics were the result of editorial pressure. My, you know, this is not a secret, uh, very favorite, most identifying character in all of Big Two Comics, Kate Pride, came about because essentially the writing team for the X-Men at the time drew the Jack in City of Shining Stars terms. They were told, please introduce someone who is the same age as your readers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that that aspect of you must create this kind of character, you must reintroduce this character you did, you thought you were done with, you don't get to choose who you use, but you do get to choose what story you tell once you've been handed these characters. That is very real. Very much along the same lines, my my favorite team comic of all time, regardless of, of what company, my favorite team book of all time was born about because two writers and an artist were told, all right, so you've got the Justice League, but uh, you can't have Superman. You can't have Wonder Woman. Flash is dead. Uh, the only Green Lantern that's around <laughs> is Guy Gardner. Go. And so the Justice League International, which is my entire heart, my favorite superhero team of all time is born about because they were like, you have the Justice League. None of the characters that people want to see in the Justice League are available. Make do with make do with whoever is left. Also, Blue Beetle was, I guess, uh, the Charlton character who was big in crisis. Can you fit Blue Beetle somewhere? And they were like, all right, I guess. And so that was it's very it's that aesthetic of like we like yeah those constraints often turn into really wonderful moments of storytelling yes and we should talk about crisis at some point maybe in 10 minutes <laughs> yeah one of the things that i'm i'm kind of wondering about uh, about a city of shining stars is what are the pieces of this that make it almost have to be a superhero story versus 
any other kind of history. And, and I'm wondering if they're there, if you, can, if you can spot any of these mechanisms. I mean, certainly some of them is the pick list of NPCs off the top, literally say superheroes and supervillains. But are there other kind of aspects in the way that maybe that the events are constructed that push this into a superheroic angle? And away from maybe any other, like, like or, or could you do Regency in this? I love that question. Jeff, do you want to take it first? To me, the thing that, like, most says that this is a, a superhero story, and this is with the caveat that, like, our modern definition of superhero has bled into just about like has I, I think that's one of the interesting challenges also right is that like what like the 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 storytelling beats that are uniquely superhero have become very common because of the prevalence of superheroes in media but to me the one thing uh we said in 10 minutes but the answer when we're going to talk about crises is now let's do it because to me like that's the thing right to me like you could you could frame it as a regency thing you could frame it as and there's instead of a crisis, a ball or like a courtly intrigue or a battle thing, if it was a fantasy thing. But to me, that idea of here's a bunch of characters, here's their individual stories, the events they've been going through, and here's the crossover. Here's the thing that brings everybody together. Here's the people that we have dictated are going to save the day. And here's the way that those legacies uniquely carry on is a very super heroic thing. Like that is a very, that is a, that is that is to me the epitome of superhero storytelling is is that superhero crossover is an extremely comic book superhero thing that I think like I I I I have seen similar-ish mechanics in games that are not superhero, but the way that it's framed in City of Shining Stars makes me feel like it pushes me towards that thing of like here heroes are going to save the day in a big dramatic way, mm-hmm. and that feels very superhero. Yes, and It's not just that the day will be saved. Other aspects of this game, which could be played in, especially in a far future or a kind of classical antiquity or a non-Western antiquity setting, in a way that doesn't look like a superhero comic, but would feel like it once the plot got going. Peter Coogan, who wrote a very good book like 15 years ago about, you know, what is a superhero and, and how do we know? If I remember it correctly... He defines a superhero as somebody with exceptional powers, a double identity, and a pro-social mission. And the, the you know, list of characters who we could create pretty much guarantees that some of them will be that. But it's not just that. Something else that I'm, I'm looking at as I look at the 14-page, which is amazingly compact and beautiful for a RPG starter pack, something else I'm looking at is what the suits mean. Hearts are personal, clubs are a neighborhood, spades are states or a nation, and diamonds are worldwide or interplanetary. This is a game that ensures that its storytelling will be a mix of I'm having trouble making rent this week, my brother's got chicken pox, and a multidimensional incursion from Proxima Centauri is about to eat the sun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the mix of small-scale and large-scale events and the sense of agency that our main characters can do something about it is going to guarantee that the stories that come out of this game feel like superhero plots, even if you are telling them in a setting so far away that it feels like science fiction or fantasy or sort of historical mythic fiction. 
to your point, there's a there's a there's a maximalism to it, I think, is how I would describe <laughs> it. Like even the most like grounded, I'm like, I'm not throwing fists, I'm feeling feeling superhero book will still be on some level about somebody who is wearing a brightly colored costume and has the ability to move objects with their mind. Like there is a maximalism to superhero stories, which comes back to, you know, as far back as their roots. So the first time readers saw Superman, it was lifting a car and smashing it into a wall. Like there is a more is more element to that where like, yeah, you're exactly right. The scope of the game being like we like planetary is a, qu- a quarter of the game is going to be interplanetary scale stories. Like there is a push to like this is every aspect of this is going to be larger than life. Not every aspect, but. But some aspects will be larger than life and will therefore color all of the aspects yes, that that's are a, personal or neighborhood level. Yep, 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 perfect, yep. I love hearing this, these, these points that you're bringing up about this because I was actually looking at this at the suits and thinking, okay, well, this is a game, like it says city in the name. Why are only half the suits at city scale or smaller? It's like, is there really, do you really need to have a distinction between nation and worldwide and and that? And that might still be true, but certainly making sure that interplanetary is one of the possible options on diamonds, I think you have convinced me is very important for saying like, no, superhero stories, you know, it might be about Manhattan, but it's also about the Chitauri Mm -hmm. coming into Manhattan. The the median size of a story in this game will be Mm city-sized. That's a great way to put it. Why, thank you. You know, once we start drawing these events and, and, you know, you have that scale, that scope. Right. We then have the adding on to the event. And I'm going to confess on this, I ended up being disappointed. Oh, no. In math. Oh, no. Because, well, so here's the thing. Overall, I was not disappointed in the playing, but I was disappointed in the mechanism because almost every card we drew was a parallel. And you may also be able to talk me out of my disappointment because I am, again, uh, very easily convinced. It did mean that we really did go wide. And I think that I loved parallels as a as a prompt, right? So looking at the warehouseman, right? The warehouseman was based on, can we have a parallel around things changing and becoming more more modern and more industrial? And so, you know, took that parallel in, in the other direction. And so like, I appreciated that as a prompt. I think that was cool. And I think that helped us go wide. But at the same time, I don't think we ever got an entanglement. And an entanglement comes when, or or as a, we never got a complication. We never got a complication. We got a few entanglements. Which is matching the suit, which is, I guess, one in four. Matching the same rank, at least in the first age, I think is very rare. Yeah. And a complication, basically, how does the event kind of spill over? And then also the complication ties into your aftermath card, that there are more complicated rules of did this go well or not based on the color of your complications, the aftermath card. So, I mean, Jeff, you've you've played this other times. Was this kind of typical or was the randomization a little maybe against us and seeing things other than parallels? I, I, I have noticed that it is it is tough, especially in that first age, to pull a complication. And I I wonder how it would have played differently had we played through all three sessions, if it would have come up that way. And the the thing that, like, I wonder about mm-hmm. is, is that an intentional design decision to reflect a degree of 
Because the idea is that, like, if you have complications in the final aftermath, suddenly your your aftermath is less cleanly defined and you have, like, a messier outcome. It's not purely good. It's not purely bad. I wonder if that is an intentional design decision to, ev- if, uh, to evoke the moral and textual complexity of comic books in subsequent ages. Mm. I don't know that that's the case, but that's kind of the vibe that I get as complications become a little more common as you play through the game, you cycle through cards, you add more cards of the same suit back in. I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if that might be one of the things that the game is trying to emulate is that sense of in golden age comics, uh, bad guys show up, we punch them. Heroes win. We get a parade in modern age comics. Bad guys show up. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's seven follow up books. The character that's about to be released in a movie is suddenly indescribably complicated in a way that movie going audiences aren't going to relate to. It's a it's a <laughs> it's it's a whole like and I wonder if that's why the game feels the way it does. And I wonder if our like one age playthrough of the game causes that feeling but i can't say that for sure and i did definitely notice in our playthrough i was like oh i want like i'm not seeing any complications and it was creating an interesting feeling yeah so here's here's the problem i have with that and i think you're right on the one hand you can want to tell golden age stories the kinds of stories that are told in the first big age of superhero comics in the late 30s and 40s On the other hand, you can want to tell modern style, more psychological, more intertwined and entangled and, you know, to my mind, just as stories, more interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. About characters in that age, which is what this game's declared model, Astro City, Mm -hmm. which we'll get to, wants to do. And it's what Crypt Six Marvels wants to do, and it's what people who are telling, you know, Justice Society stories in the DC universe want to do. Yeah. It's, it's part of the novel Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. The mechanic that makes it mathematically difficult to complicate stories in the first age of the game makes it harder to do a lot of character development. Yeah. I, I and yeah. tell modern stories about these earlier characters. And yeah, that means the stories are going to be a little bit more like self-contained Golden Age stories unless you really work hard to stack them up like Legos, which we did. But that's still kind of, I, I, I think I've come around to Fiona's view that the probabilities for the first age when you play this game are not what I wish they were. I think I've come around as well. Like, I think I would love, I, I would like to see more complications in that because I as also because I think that's just a fun energy yeah. like I think having complications is fun having messy outcomes is fun and I would like to see more of that in that first age but again I'm not sure if that was just our playthrough or the numbers or what the the situation there but I think you're exactly I think you're both exactly right like I think I would like to see more of that as we play through those early stages of play. Honestly, I, I I love the reading that it's like, hey, this actually does match the way the stories were in these different mm-hmm. ages. Like, uh, unintended or not, much credit to Aaron Lim for yeah. making a fairly straightforward random generation mechanic that actually captures that actual sort of observed uh, change in storytelling. Mm-hmm. So what? Any anything else? Anything we want to dive into? I'm some things are you know, is looking over like the you know the list of prompts are certainly kind of going to affect the stories. 
are there ones that seem particularly evocative and fun? I mean, again, I love being able to put a canyon in the city. Yeah. Thank you uh, for the number two card choice on that. Anything else we want to say about kind of the the, the mechanisms while we're still here in, in the letters page? I am fascinated by these mechanisms because they also work for generating stories if you are part of a writing community apart from playing the game. The the prompts for landmarks and the prompts for character creation really work and you know I don't I don't currently teach how to write superhero comics classes. If I did, I would strongly consider slicing this game up into parts mm-hmm. and, you know, paying for it and with permission from Aaron Lynn, perhaps saying, draw some cards. Because not only are they cool writing prompts, they also tell you what the most common kinds of characters in a superhero story are without telling you, as let's say Masks does, what those characters' inner psychological struggles are going to be. These aren't personality types, they are jobs. Mm. And I found myself, as our particular game went on, looking at this list of jobs, journalism, politician, emergency services, and thinking, okay, what is not represented? Can we have an electrician? Can we have care workers? Mm -hmm. Can we have the other people who make a city go who are not electeds, EMTs, or journalists? But these are the most common kinds of jobs people do and roles that people occupy in mainstream superhero comics, and it is a cool list. All right. Well, we always end the letters page with the question, when did this game make you feel like a superhero? And that doesn't quite line up for what we just did. So I'm going to offer a choice of questions. When did this game make you feel like a writer or editor? Sort of what moment during the game uh, of superhero comics, or what was a moment of the game that we came up with where you're like, yes, this is this is a comic book dang thing that has happened. I love it. Jeff, why don't why don't we start with you on this? I've got my moment immediately. For me, the moment that felt like I was reading a comic book that was unfolding in front of me was the 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 ending of our session or the the ending of the phase of play that we were playing through, where the crisis has been established. And the heroes, like the heroes are rising up, like the big hero team up moment, mm-hmm. the, you know, each, each individual character, the, the warehouseman coming back and pushing Gooseberry through the gates into the Fey realm. Like that felt like, like there was a breathless quality to, uh, the, the act of like setting up impossible odds and then going, and here are the characters that stop this, <laughs> this, this crisis from happening. <laughs> was the most, like, that That felt like a superhero comic book, right? Like, that was those one of those moments where there's such a distinct joy to, like, reading and recapping a particular story that resonates with you, and that is what that felt like to me. That's my, that's my moment. Mm. Excellent. Steph, how about you? So, I felt like I was writing a superhero comic and creating a superhero character as soon as I was able to bring in Alice, who quit Thomas Edison's workshop because he's a jerk and moved towards Olympia, moved into Olympia. And, you know, as soon as I could start building a character, which I think tells you what I think superhero, what I want superhero comics to be, mm-hmm. which is here is a cool character who means well and has unusual powers and I want to get to know what's going on inside 
her or him or them. And, you know, occasionally maybe she has to punch someone. And from the moment that that we were able to introduce Alice, I felt like I had a, a heroic point of view character who could see what was going on. And yeah, that was that that moment. Uh, and then the other the other moments that made me feel like I was writing the kind of superhero comic that I want to be writing mm-hmm. were the moments that we were able to use Ryan, who really went away for a while yeah. and then came back at the end. And I am I'm so grateful to both of you for making it possible for Ryan to literally become the city. Oh, it was so, so good. So good. That felt actually like kind of like like almost a Hickman era X-Men kind of thing of like digging through the back obscure other characters and being like, oh, wait, we could take this person's powers and make that, you know, they've forgotten, you know, you're not using them over like, oh, wait, no, they they really fit in as the last piece of this puzzle. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're referring to the relationship between Doug Ramsey and the mutant living island of Krakoa, which is the basis for the Hickman era of X-Men. But yes. Well, or any number of them, right? Like, look at the five, right? Like Egg, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of these um, oh. slightly deep cuts whose powers are then, re- you know, reinterpreted in a, in kind of that, that I, new way. I think I would actually quarrel with the idea that that egg, uh, who used to be known as Gold Balls, uh, is a deep cut. Just because once you've encountered Gold Balls, he's not someone it's just you like forget. top of mind forever. Okay, That's been my right. experience. I mean, my answer to this question, I think, a moment that to me felt like some of the things I really like reading comics was we we kind of saw it maybe it wasn't like super explicit, but like when GTR is like, I'm gonna try something new. I want to go in a new direction. Like there's this old, you know, I, I've been doing this robbery stuff and like maybe it's getting weird now that there are so many working class people I'm robbing. And that felt like, you know, the solo book kind of fizzled out a little while ago. And then now like a fresh writer is coming in with like a new idea for this character. And that's always exciting to me. And maybe I'm just a sucker for like, it's a new number one, but like, then you, you get a, you get yeah, a name yeah. on the cover that I'm really into. It's like, oh, yes. well, if G. Willow Wilson is writing this, like, I gotta know. Exactly, exactly. That's how I felt with, with uh, the change there with GTR. All right, so our next segment, a little lightning roundish here. It's ongoings, retcons, and spinoffs. And we're gonna go around the table. The first prompt is ongoing. If we were to keep playing, and you know, again, there's two two thirds ish of this game that we kind of didn't. What are things that that you would want to see either more of or that we didn't see at all um, that you're excited about? And Jeff, you're our guest, so uh, let me start with you. I think the thing that we didn't get to that I would have loved to see is we talked a little bit about it, but those mechanics of like seeing the legacies play out is, I think, the thing that I really would have liked to get to play around more in because like the the spaces that we set up were so fun yeah that i wanted to see and the particular legacy um that i was very like i walked away from that with my brain buzzing about like because i because i am a sucker for a good meta text if you give me some some meta fiction i'm all about <laughs> it seeing how the comic book industry would react to superhero, like would react in a world where there were superheroes 
is uh, the most me thing imaginable. And it was a thing that I was like, it would be, it's going to be so fun. And like seeing how, seeing how Ryan existed as the city and like what that looked like and like what the kinds of magic that like, what kind of city magic exists in a world where the city is literally the spirit of a superhero, I think is a thing that I would have really loved to see play out more. How about you, Steph? I would also have loved to see that play out more. I think I wanted to see what was going to happen with Patricia and and, and Ryan, what what it would be like to grow up as a second or as a third generation Mm -hmm. figure in the city that had been shaped by conflict with the Fey Realm and was known to be protected by this sort of animate metal network. The other thing that I would have wanted to bring in was parts of North American history that happen in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I don't know that I want to read more comics about fighting Nazis. We get enough of that in older comics and unfortunately at the moment in real life. But the space program is going to come to Olympia. Olympia could turn into the new Cape Canaveral or the new Huntsville or not. I don't know that I'd want to simulate the civil rights movement. That would feel rather appropriative, although it's been done. But I might want to think about what sort of social justice movement would transfigure Olympia. I would like to see hippies. Mm -hmm. I would like to see whether the legacy of heroic figures and, frankly, a labor party, because one of the things that I— Some of our listeners will have have noticed that we introduced Eugene Debs. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to do some of the alternate history work of what happens when you have superheroes who some of them want to be apolitical and some of them actually want to be on the side of working people. What happens to the city of Olympia or New Olympia as the nation or nations around it kind of move towards you're on your own kid? So I really would have wanted to see more of how superhero stories interact with real-life public history. We talked a little bit about, I think, some of the mechanical and random number things that would probably be more emphasized in in the the later later phases of this game, and certainly as the uh, the more rules focused half of this uh, show. That's makes me excited. Narratively, though, I, I like I like the time jump. I like going forward, and that. When we are starting, we've got the legacies, which are cool, but then also any of the other NPCs that we create are going to be remembering or have heard about the stuff that happened in the first age. And so it's like, how have they been shaped by the things that we already did? I, I think that would be fun. You know, it's things that we could see in those fresh NPCs yeah. are still coming into this world that, you know, we uh, we created and kind of blew up and then saved. Yeah, yeah. All right, next up is Retcon, and this is, if we were to play this game again, if you were to play this game again, how would you approach it differently, either from kind of a a personal standpoint or maybe thinking about rules, tweaks, or hacks that you would try out? How about you, Steph? Why don't you start? This game allows you to drop into roleplay and really do scenes, especially scenes with dialogue. We didn't do that. I want to play this game again. I want to do it. I want to just drop from plotting into scenes and dialogue and, you know, word-by-word improv. I also, just to sort of praise this game as I say, man, I want to do this more and do different things, 
Many actual big two comics are plotted by one person and scripted by another. And this game gave me the experience, together with all of us, of plotting a comic. I would like to have the experience of scripting it a bit more next time. Okay. Jeff, do you have a, a retcon for A City of Shining Stars? I do. My answer is the same as Stephanie's, but but I've also got these wax wings that uh, are great, and I will fly into the sky, and nothing will ever go wrong. Because <laughs> legit what I want to do with a, with a City of Shining Stars is I want to like build things out, point at a particular moment, and say, masks game. <laughs> like I want to, I want to build the thing uh-huh. and be like, this is the city, this is the age, this is the characters. There's an anyone can wear the mask game, and then like be like, all right, cool, we've got the age. Now let's see the individual like stories, and I I would want to like turn this into a massive meta Franken game monstrosity <laughs> that can only exist when you have too many games on your on your hard drive or in your bookshelf, like. I want to straight up kind of crack my knuckles and be like, what's the game? What game speaks to me at the, with, at this stage of play? Like when, when we have that question of like, what does this look like? Crack open another game and go, let's find out. Did you just propose (laughs) that we play city of shining stars until we get to a point where we want to stop the historical progression play anyone can wear the mask and then once we've established the city at that moment in time with its preeminent adult hero then play masks i think that would be exactly like that's the kind of that is the kind of over ambitious thing that like feeds my soul is like is like we've played city of shining stars we've got a map of this time period but this gap right here we've introduced these teen characters let's like look at a chapter of their life and play a masks one shot (laughs) see how that plays out and then feed some of that energy back in into our shining stars game. Oh, I cannot think of a better way to spend 18 hours. <laughs> like, I'll just grab a four-day weekend and just make superhero stuff. Yes. Yes. I don't want to jinx this. I don't want to jinx this idea. <laughs> okay. We'll get at our calendars, but we're not going to do that on air. All right. So my retcon is, I think I would want to try to play with, with the, the pacing a little bit of it. Uh, You know, we did about three hours and games do take longer when we're recording them, but it it does, you know, only getting kind of that one age. And so thinking about sort of a more of a speed running of this, rather than stopping at one age, could you get all three ages in two hours Mm. by, by simply, you know, throwing out a third of the deck or that kind of thing. I'm wondering about getting it more of a focus, sort of thinking about almost at the scale of our mundane supernatural life of being able to, to come in, get enough of a full arc and then, and then end. And, you know, I wonder, yeah, does it, do you, do you get rid of all the cards below five or, or how, how you could, you could try that out, but shorter amount of time is, is my, uh, my answer. I might even suggest a hack that is just like, we play through, we each play through a round with an event and after we've all done an event, which is uh, one of the games that's cited as an inspiration for A City of Shining Stars is, uh, I'm sorry, did you say Street Magic by Caro Assertion? And that game has that particular rule, which is uh-huh. everybody takes a focus round. Like everybody would, in in Shining Stars terms, everybody would create an event and then the crisis happens. And like, it makes it a little bit more predictable. Like it, it lacks some of that same like unpredictable energy, but I think it does give, it does allow you to really quickly kind of cruise through all three eras of play yeah. in a, in a shorter time span. Excellent. I may give that specifically a shot then. 
All right, finally, spinoff. So what parts of this game, aspects of it, do we want to see in other games and the way that role-playing games are a conversation and based off of each other? What can other games learn from A City of Shining Stars? And I think, Jeff, it's your turn to go first on this. I, I think that, like, any, I mean, and... <laughs> This is this is a, a predictable answer given the other superhero game that I played there <laughs> that I that I wrote mm-hmm. that you played on this particular podcast. I think more games, particularly in the superhero milieu, should put that focus on people. Because I yeah. think that mm. very many superhero games, including a lot of games that I dearly, dearly love, go, here are superheroes. Here are vill- like here are the rules for here here is how you do superheroes. You're going to meet villains. Uh and then and I think that like it I think that mechanizing or like or um codifying the process by which you meet the people in a space is an incredibly poignant thing that I think I'd like to see in more games. Yeah. And I, I think just to, to to put a little of anal- analytics behind that, I, I heard you say that. I, I looked at the prompts and only ace through five for the NPC prompts actually mention hero or villain. And so everything six through king are just the other people in the city. So the majority of the folks you're creating, I mean, some of these prompts, you could kind of go either way, but it could be that the more majority of folks you're creating are not are not superpowered. So I just want to kind of build on what Jeff is saying. There's two different ways that I want games to focus on people. One, and anyone can wear the mask, is kind of the gold standard here is the way that the way that non-super people, the rest of the members in a community, are affected by a central heroic figure. The other way that a game can focus on people is by interiorizing the characters, by looking at just feelings and motivations and making the scenes between the superhero fights more than just montage bits or bridging action between one fight and the next. Mm -hmm. Maybe my like dream game and this doesn't exist and maybe it can exist would be a game that that where the same bag of rules, the same bag of game mechanics had real mechanics both for micro scenes, for conversations and you know, roll to see if you've persuaded someone or if they react badly to you and, you know, draw a card to see if you're going to meet the mayor or if the, you know, Chitauri are going to invade. I would love to see systems that combine micro and macro. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm afraid it didn't make sense. No, I, I got where you're going. Okay. My spinoff is, is that crisis in the way that that worked. Mm. And, and I'm almost coming to this from someone who just GM'd the end of a, a long home game of masks, which Steph, you were a part of and mm-hmm. coming to a mm. satisfying conclusion that that pulled a lot of pieces together is fun and hard. And also then you start bringing in dice. And I think that this reminds me a little bit, you know, we were talking with 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 Cece about anyone can wear the mask and the idea of of genre convention and genre convention around superhero stories is at the end of the big climactic crisis there is some amount of success. And so except in Watchmen. Yeah, okay. But what I think what I would be interested in in seeing then maybe is when you do get to an end of a game and you're ready for that big climax that that's 
you know, that the, the whole team coming together. Put the dice away. Look at the sheet that's got all of the threads that have happened over the course of your campaign, over the course of your story, and kind of work together to figure out how they do come together and how they do resolve and and let that be a collaborative storytelling process. I think that might be an, an interesting way of doing something kind of special and different at the end of uh of a longer campaign. Yeah. And and can I add to that just please a bit? To do that, you have to have all of the players thinking of themselves as the writers or editors of a superhero comic rather than inhabiting the character. At least in that last moment. In that yeah. last moment. And building mechanically into a game that encourages what we call an actor orientation rather than an author orientation. Building into a game where you're really inhabiting the characters, you're Wally West or whoever, for an hour or two hours or two years, saying, okay, here's a moment where you, the player, you're not Wally West anymore. You are working as part of the writing team to figure out what happens in this universe. It is a wrenching change of perspective, but it might be a really cool thing to do at the end of a campaign. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or at the, uh, yeah. At the what? At the end of it, uh, I, was, I was thinking like at the end of uh, a very recent uh, Marvel TV uh, series. That, Ooh, uh, well, that's a bit different, but maybe it's not different. <laughs> you can right. only that's do a, that that's if you're exactly you green do. and eight feet tall. Yeah. Uh, all right. Excellent. Well, that we will cap off then our discussion of A City of Shining Stars from Aaron Lim, a wonderful game that we had a great deal of fun playing. Now it is time for the back issues where Steph and Jeff, you can talk about superhero stories that really uh, a city of shining stars has has brought to mind for you. And, and I don't know if you, you both have a, a little bit of a list that you posted in Discord. And I appreciate that. If you want to maybe go back and forth a little bit on this, Jeff, can you can you lead us off with one? Uh, yeah, the one that I think uh, really comes to mind. Um, it is one of my favorite books ever written. It is just a beautiful, beautiful work um, about superheroes is Marvels by Kurt Busiek, painted by Alex Ross, edited by uh, Marcus McLaurin. Marvels is the story of the Marvel Universe through the eyes of one particular reporter. It takes the premise that every Marvel character arrived in in the in the world and on the scene at the year like in the year that their comics were being published so you see the 60s play out as here as heroes are emerging and it is a really beautiful book that like grounds the experience of like an ordinary person living in a world where galactus a character that was pitched by jack kirby as literal god shows up and is fought off by four strange superheroes who are also New York celebrity elite. Like the, 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 the idea of living in a world where these characters that are larger than life are just among you is played out in really, really beautiful detail. That is a retelling in a way that, that looks at, I I almost want to say that that is also an anyone can wear the mask kind of book because it's so focused on a few years, really, in the life of one city, which is Marvel, New York, and the way that the presence of heroic beings affects everything else. It's mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The ambition to do large-scale history, to show how each action leads to the next, and to just keep bringing in various characters, some of whom are heroes who you're, who've never been seen before because you're creating them, and some of whom are non-powered individuals who are just part of the life of the city. That is something you get 
in a series that has the same writer as Marvel's. It's a series that the success of Marvel's enabled this writer to do. The writer is, of course, Kurt Busiek. And the the booklet that allows you to play City of Shining Stars actually says this was inspired by Alan Moore and, and Gina Hans-Andrew Cannon's top 10 and Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson's Astro City. There's a lot of Astro City comics. Because Fiona told me to, and when Fiona says, you should really do something, I do it. I went and read, uh, reread a lot of Astro City to prep for this. And there are particular Astro City storylines and collections that really focus on the multi-generational decades of history, eras leading to another era, events leading to other events. How is 1920 special aspect that City of Shining Stars seems to really go to? The most recent issue of Astro City to appear is about the 60s versus the modern age, and it's being published very slowly right now, but it is supposedly being published. It's a comic called That Was Then. I would recommend the trade paperback called Family Album, and I would recommend the trade paperback called Through Open Doors. I would recommend any of the several stories about the character Jack in the Box, who is a modern character, or about the Silver Agent, who is a time-traveling, era-spanning character. The trade paperback Shining Stars, which I think is what the game is named after. I believe it is, yeah. After City Shining Stars has a Silver Agent two-parter called Serve and Protect and Home to the Hill, and that's a great place to start. And I found myself just making a list of other Astro City stories. Ellie's Friends, What He Did on a Vacation, which is, I think, another Jack in the Box story. The Sky's the Limit, which is a story about the astronaut early space era hero who gave the city its name. Or you could just read through all of Astro City. There's more than 100 issues. Jeff, did any of the Astro City's stories come to mind for you? I have a confession where I have not read Astro City, and I'm using okay. I am using this list as my guide to finally correct that, I'll be <laughs> right. honest. Well, check the show notes. Uh, honestly? We're going to be in there, yeah. You could just start reading Astro City all the way through. I, I think that might be my 2023 goal. I think this is me saying this on mic. Yeah. All right. All right. Locked in. It's a good goal. But yeah, let's toss back to you, Jeff. Uh, if you have uh, another book to recommend here. I do. There's another book. We kind of, uh, we named a street after her and I want to shout out a particular book that has uh, City of Shining Stars energy by Gail Simone. There was a book published in 99, I believe, uh, 2007, uh, a book of hers from 2007 called Welcome to Tranquility. It was written by Gail Simone, drawn by Neil Gouge. It is a story about a city of retired superheroes. It is a retirement city for superheroes after their stories have ended. And there's a murder mystery that unfold. There's a lot of legacy, like, hero play. And they do a lot of flashbacks to these heroes when they were alive as the mystery is unfolding. But they do them in the style of the comic that was popular when they were active. Oh, wow. So you get a lot of jumping between time periods. You get a lot of playing with the history of comics as a medium. It's a Gail Simone book, so it's funny and smart and heartfelt. It's just great, and I love it a lot. I, I can also recommend. All right, that's going on the top of my pile. Based on that description, I'm now wondering if if one could make a game with that framing, because that sounds pretty cool. All right, other stuff uh, y'all want to toss out here? 
The only other thing I, I wanted to be sure to mention, I guess it's a, it's two things, is that first, both DC and Marvel have done miniseries that are the history of their universe that are prose by a famous comic book writer along with a series of illustrations. It's not quite like reading comic stories. It's prose with illustrations. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get a quick hit history, these are good places to go. Mark Wade did the one for Marvel called History of the Marvel Universe, which came out recently. And there's a very recent DC book that looks interesting. I've only started it by John Ridley, Giuseppe Camacoli, and a couple other people called The Other History of the DC Universe, which specifically takes the point of view of DC characters with marginalized backgrounds. And, you know, what does the advent of Superman look like to them? Related to that, it's actually a book that's not out yet, but it is a book that my that a dear friend of mine is writing. And I get to, and if you can't shout out the things that your friends are working on, then what is the point? Agreed. Yep. She's talked a great deal about it on Twitter, and I've been following her updates about it and screaming. But there is a book coming out in 2023, which is the DC Book of Pride, which is a similar DC encyclopedia look at the queer and LGBTQ plus characters throughout DC's history. Ooh. Hell yeah. It is being written by Jadzia Axelrod, who wrote Galaxy, The Prettiest Star, uh, which came out uh, this year. And it is that same that same aesthetic of like just reading about a character and getting a quick hit at the, of their history that like I think has a distinct energy that is true to a city of shining stars. Of like, oh, here's this character. They really only appeared in one or two things, but like, here's the story of who they were and what they did and how they tied into this event. It's a, that kind of energy is very present in A City of Shining Stars. I'm there for that. Yes. It's actually, it's, it's, it's the gay stuff that's gotten me reading DC, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, I want more of it. So say we all. I think that we end there. This is uh, this is the end of our run of A City of Shining Stars. Jeff Stormer, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast and doing this with us. This has been absolute true pleasure to have you here. And uh, now is the time for you to do the plugs. Where can people find you? What else are you are you working on? Where can people get more Jeff Stormer? Uh, you can find my work at jeffstormer.com. You can find me on Twitter at Party of One Pod. You can check out Party of One, which is an actual play podcast focused on two-player role-playing experiences. You can find that at Party of One Podcast. You can also check out, if you like the world-building stuff we did on this episode, you can check out All My Fantasy Children. Yeah, you should. Which is a character creation, storytelling, and world-building podcast where my best friend and I make up characters every week based on listener prompts. You can also go to jeffstormer.itch.io to buy my games, including Anyone Can Wear the Mask and Dominoes. I'm sure there are more super hero games coming i actually just picked back one up that i'm starting to work on again yes. and eventually i will release my my superhero archaeology masterwork that will come out someday maybe <laughs> but uh yeah you can find that at jeffstormer.itch.io you can find me on twitter at party of one pod for now maybe i don't know when this right. is gonna oh, come God, out it's horrible <laughs> but yeah that's there that's where you can find me online thank you excellent excellent well all of those links are gonna be in the show notes Jeff Stormer, thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. This was awesome. Steph, now we say goodbye. Bye. All right. Take care, pals. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a week off between runs, and then we're going to be back in February with Spectaculars. This is another team-based superhero game. We have an amazing pair of guests who are playing it with us. Make sure you're subscribed because you're not going to want to miss this one. Oh,
This run, we've been playing A City of Shining Stars by Aaron Lim. You can find more of his games on his Itch page, which is linked to in the show notes. Team Up Moves is a production of Fiona Hopkins and Stephanie Burt, copyright 2023. You can find us on Twitter as at Team Up Moves and Mastodon as teamupmoves at dice.camp. Stephanie and I are both on those places, so look in the show notes for all of our handles. Our website is teamupmoves.com. It has subscribe links for your podcatchers, pages about our previous runs, and the sign-up form for email newsletter. We send this out about once a month. It's got a little bit of lore, a little bit of what we've been up to, and a little bit of other games and superhero media that we're into. So it's easy, it's free, teamupmoves.com. Our theme music is Play by Sleepyhead. You can find more of their music at sleepyheadrockbands.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you can leave a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice, we totally appreciate it. Spread the word through Discord or Twitter or Mastodon, any of those things, absolutely wonderful. But really, we're just glad you're here. Take care, pals.